if you're sending, you know, two or three year old devices that can still function for a number of years to the crushing machine. So you're not really, it's a waste. You are basically wasting a resource that could be valuable to someone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Questions with by Quest Ventures, the top venture capital fund in Asia. I'm your host, Azon, and as promised, I will take us on a tour around Asia's burgeoning startup ecosystem. In today's episode, we will be interviewing our special guest, one of the rising stars in Malaysia's startup ecosystem, powering sustainable development by giving e-waste a second life. Our special guest today is none other than Mo, the co-founder and CEO of Earth, which stands for Electronic Recycling Through Heroes. Thanks for being here with us today, Mo. Please help our listeners learn more about you. Thanks, Azan. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. Um, my name is Mohammed Tarek, and I'm the founder of Earth. Uh, I founded it with uh, my co-founder, Nehid, who also happens to be my wife. Uh, we are passionate about, uh, you know, social enterprises and sustainability in general. And uh, when we got married, we decided that we are going to try to uh, do a startup together. Uh, at that time, I was um, running a solar energy uh, startup. And, uh, and then I realized that actually e-waste is a lot more serious problem and a lot uh, urgent problem than, uh, than energy diversification. Uh, so that's why uh, we pivoted towards uh, e-waste. At that time, I was uh, living in Finland. And, uh, um, you know, Nehed is from Egypt. I, I, I'm originally from Egypt, but I lived in Finland all of my life. So how did a Finnish Egyptian and an Egyptian end up uh, meeting to to do a startup in Malaysia. Actually, it's uh, because in 2016, um, uh, President Obama um, uh, organized the Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Silicon Valley. Uh, and uh, that, that took place at Stanford University. So we were both uh, invited from each respective country. I was res- uh, uh, representing Finland and Nehen was representing Egypt. And, and then we went to the conference. Of course, we saw all of the you know top tech CEOs in the world over there. And it was very, very inspiring. And then on the last day of the conference, right after uh, seeing President Obama speak, uh, we we met for the first time, um, you know, and the rest is history. So uh, that's, you know, we felt that that was the right environment that inspired us to even start doing a, a, a startup together. And then a year later, we fell in love, we got married, and then we started to search where is the best place to start an e-waste company in the world. No, no, while you're on the topic of your founding story, right? May I ask you if there were any global trends that inspired you to found your startup? So if you remember in 2018, you know, China um, was not anyway, uh, was not uh, allowing the import of uh, e-waste from the world anymore, which it has done for for a couple of decades. Uh, So a lot of the e-waste that was coming from the, you know, the the first world uh, heading to China is now started to be rerouted to come to Malaysia instead. And, And then it started to make headlines around the world. So we thought that, okay, maybe that's a sign. Let's go to Malaysia and, and try to uh, solve the e-waste problem over there. And, and, and that's why we're here. I see, I see, I see. So actually you've studied in the Gulf region and in Finland and started your first company in Finland. Am I correct? Yes, correct. So I was uh, born in the United Arab Emirates. Yep. And then uh, when I was a teenager, I moved to Finland. And then I uh, got my education in Finland and uh, I lived there for more than 10 years. I'm a Finnish citizen, uh, dual Egyptian uh, and Finnish citizen. Wow. And uh, and I did my first startup in Finland as well. Okay, I see. Actually, I'm very curious. Just a side question. How many languages do you speak? 
Uh, I speak three languages. I speak, of course, English, Arabic, and Finnish. Uh, you need to learn Finnish in order to become a citizen. It took mm-hmm. me quite many years to learn it, but I did in the end, and and I'm now a citizen. And uh, if I was to, um, you know, add one more language, I don't think mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very good at languages. But if I would add one more, I, I think I would definitely learn Chinese. Wow, Chinese! You know, if you don't mind, I can you know tutor you for free, and maybe you teach me a little bit more about running a business. So I did some prior research, of course, you know, before the interview, and I saw on your website that Earth has collected more than 500 tons of e-waste as of 2021, and I was very impressed by the progress you have made so far because 500 tons is a lot of e-waste. Can you give us a breakdown of how much of these e-waste are from households, enterprises, and other consumer segments? That's a great question. You know,、um, when we started Earth in 2019. Uh, we were 100% focused on household at the time, because we were a little startup and we didn't think that any big organization is going to bother to give us the contract of uh, uh, of uh, recycling their e-waste. Because these are, you know, very large established companies. They produce a lot of e-waste, and there is already many companies in the in the industry that are ready to solve these uh, uh, big uh, waste generators, but not necessarily many companies that want to tackle the problem. Problem of、uh, the logistical challenge of collecting from thousands or millions of of homes、yep. small amounts of e-waste. So we were 100% focused on solving the household problem. However, with time, our network of heroes grew. Uh, so heroes is basically the freelancers who go around and collect on our behalf. So our network grew and it became very very efficient. And we have a like it's almost on demand. Like you book and then you know, like within a day or two,、uh, your problem is already、uh, is already gone. You know the e-waste that you have is already taken、uh, to be properly recycled. So、uh, because the system became mu- much more efficient. Uh, we started to get、uh, big companies. I mean, talking about companies like DHL, Volvo,、uh, Shell,、uh, Dell. You know, all of these big players that I never thought that they they would need、uh, the help of a, of a little startup like us. They started to use the household booking line in order to get rid of their e-waste as they generated in small amounts. So they didn't want to store big amounts for six months or one year until their subcontractor comes. They wanted to get rid of it as it, as it comes. So they started to use our our household booking line. So slowly we started to to serve them, and then the contracts just became bigger and bigger and bigger. Such that in in one instance we collected thirty tons of e-waste from a single transaction. So that was like the biggest that we ever had to deal with. Wow.、Uh, so so nowadays,、um, especially you know after Quest、uh, joined us as an investor,、uh, we analyze the unit economics and we realize that you know how can we Continue to be,、uh, you know, kind of the dominant player in the household recycling、uh, by basically reducing our minimum quantity where we give free pickup as well as paying the highest cash rewards. And we realize that the best way we can do that is to have a healthy amount of B two B customers. That we can then use the the profits because the unit economics for the B two B transactions are of course much better.、Mm-hmm. So we can use the profits that we make from the B two B transactions to subsidize some of the transactions on the B two C side. So nowadays, I think the split is around fifty fifty. So, so it's a lot more balanced than、uh, when we started in twenty nineteen. I see, I see, I see. So 
it must have brought a lot of validation to your founding team and your entire team when you know all these big boys uh, you know giving you businesses as well so my next question to you would be you know you framed the mission of earth as fighting against landfills but i would like to ask you some of these big consumer tech brands like the largest smartphone makers are rolling out about 20 models of phones per year and generating the bulk of e-waste you know are they your allies or your opponents Yeah, that's a great question. Look, first of all, uh, we're not in the business of you know like uh, demonizing uh, you know technology innovators. I mean, I also love you know to use the latest and greatest gadgets. But at the same time, I think we need to have um, you know the mindset of uh, let's realize what is the environmental toll that was already spent in order to get this device in my hand. So. Mm. I think we can all agree that using a device for one or two years and then uh, throwing it in the landfill is definitely not the best use of the resources because yep. you know the resources in our planet are finite and 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 also because there is other people who cannot afford the new device who don't mind using a two or three year old device just because they cannot you know afford the newer one but this device can still serve them on their digital journey. Yep. So I think what's what's going to happen over the next few years is that we're going to see you know regions like for example the European Union they're going mm-hmm. to pass legislation you know uh, we 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 saw it recently you know forcing all phone manufacturers to use uh, USB-C chargers to reduce the mm-hmm. amount of e-waste then after that they're going to have like the right to repairability that each device uh, should be uh, repairable for at least 10 years after yes. uh, it's brought into the market so that is also something that is going to give you know a lot of um, um, value to to our industry because it means that instead of the phone having one or two owners it can now have you know four or five different owners so you're going to uh, extend the life of the device you know up to 10 years um so i think that uh, regulation is coming maybe yep. uh, there is other types of waste at the moment like uh, plastic or food waste um that are uh, you know kind of more visible because we generate a lot more uh, plastic and a lot of more of that waste on a daily basis so we think that e-waste is only like 2 to 3% of the household yep. uh, solid waste pie so we think it's small but yep. in reality this 2 3% contributes 70% of the toxicity in the landfill toxic heavy metal uh, contamination so i think it is not something that we can ignore so over the next few years i expect more and more legislation is going to put the responsibility on all players in the supply chain from the manufacturer to the retailer to the consumer and then after that to the um, authorized collector like us who is then going to be a circular economy catalyst and put the phone in the hands of someone else and else and else until eventually after let's say 8 to 10 years the device will will be dismantled and recycled and i think that i would like to remain open to be mm-hmm. an ally and a friend mm-hmm. to the big manufacturers because they can continue producing the devices that's no problem but once they are required by regulation to fulfill a certain quota of take back so for example you put in the market you know 1 million devices so you need to you know take back at least 250,000 devices per year or or whatever the quota might be I think they're not going to build their own infrastructure to go around and collect those 250,000 devices. I think in that case it would be a lot easier for them to just call us and then let us collect those devices on their behalf. So I I I would say we are more friends than enemies. I see, I see. So they are not your opponents, right? They are your allies. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, yes. thank you so much for that answer. I see this picture much better now. So, you know, as our listeners would know, you know, if crypto was the talk of the town in 2021, sustainable development is the buzzword in 2022. And, you know, of course, we can't talk about sustainable development without mentioning the Sustainable Development Goals, which were established in 2015 as a blueprint towards a more sustainable future for all. I'm sure it's a framework that was in mind in the conception of Earth, but may I know in detail which goals do Earth align itself to? You, you know, the thing about e-waste is that uh, it actually uh, spans across multiple SDGs. Uh, yes, in yes. fact, it, it spans across six SDGs. So, of course, the first most obvious one is responsible consumption and production. That's the obvious one. Yep. But then after that, if you add, uh, if you add, for example, uh, on-demand uh, logistics to uh, mm -hmm. enable consumers and, and businesses to recycle easily, mm -hmm. then you start to go into SDG 11, which is sustainable cities and communities. Yep. Uh, if you start to incorporate heroes like us, then you also go into decent work and economic growth because you're providing gig economy jobs. And then eventually, once all of these three SDGs are, are in action, then you get uh, good health and well-being, SDG 3, you get clean water sanitization, SDG 6, and then you get also life below water, which is uh, SDG 14. So six SDGs, 3, 6, 8, 11, 12, and 14, are all directly or indirectly affected by uh, solving the e-waste problem. Wow, that is, that is very impressive. Thank you for sharing that with us. So my next question to you would be, you know, how much more do you think can be done in alleviating the issue of e-waste for the different actors in the economy? So let's say the consumers, enterprises and the government. So I think that the only thing missing right now Yep. You know, there, there is something missing from each of the players. So I'm I'm hesitant to put the blame on on, on only one player or the other. I yep. think that each player has um, has a role to play. So first of all, let's talk about the manufacturers. So of course, manufacturers need to make their devices repairable, need to reduce the the usage of stronger adhesives to make the the, the device um, you know able to be repaired and and so on. Then we have the responsibility of retailers. I think mm -hmm. retailers need to play a role in raising awareness so that they could communicate to the consumers that once you buy this laptop, you can always bring it back to us and we will give you a trade-in value against your next purchase or something mm. like that to encourage the consumers to bring it back. Then we have consumer side, of course, the awareness as well as the willpower, you know, deciding as a, as a collective that we are going to do better about our devices. And then finally, there is the responsibility, of course, of the uh, professional companies in the e-waste uh, space like us. So many of our competitors don't simply earn enough because mm. all of the e-waste that they collect, they send directly to the crushing machine, you know, just to send yeah. it to uh, licensed recycling plants. And, and and okay, that's better than putting in the landfill for sure, but it's actually not the best in terms of both economic as well as environmental impact because if you're sending, you know, two or three year old devices that can still function for a number of years yep. to the crushing machine. So you're not really, it's a waste. You are basically wasting a resource that could be valuable to someone. And that's why Earth has adopted the, this ABC model. So we grade everything that we collect into three grades. Grade A, it means reusable. So we hmm. basically uh, sell it again. Uh, of course, we do a data wipe and we refurbish it, make it in a good usable condition. And then uh, we sell it on um, on platforms such as Carousel, which is, you know, a fellow Quest Ventures oh. portfolio company. All right. uh, then we have uh, grade B, which is repairable. 
So then we give it as a spare parts to our B2B partners who are, uh, uh, you know, harvesting spare parts and, and repairing devices. And then they will sell it in their own uh, respective channels. And then finally, uh, the grade C, which is the recyclable stuff. Mm. This we send to the licensed recycling uh, facilities, but we don't really care how much we earn from that because, you know, like 80% of our money is already earned in grade A and grade B. So mm. we are not, you know, very picky about how much the recycling plant picks, um, uh, pays us. I mean, even if they wouldn't pay us, we would still do the right thing and send uh, the, the grade C material to them. Uh, so, so this is why our uh, perhaps our, our com competitors are not earning enough, and that's why they keep going to the government and asking for a subsidy scheme because they say mm -hmm. we are loss making or we are break even and we can't survive like this. Many of our competitors during the the last uh, couple of years have downsized or shut down, mm -hmm. uh, and that's because they are not following this uh, ABC uh, model that we have, which mm -hmm. basically simply. It makes sense from an economic as well as an environmental perspective to yep. boost the value of the items that you are collecting. Yep. So to summarize what you just said, it is to maximize the entire value chain. Am I correct? Yes, yep. correct. Okay. So, 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 so in a sense, we have here like like two two different um, uh, value boosters. That's the right. first value booster is that we use a freelance network. So yep. they are not salaried employees on our payroll that, mm -hmm. that cost us a lot. So they are, we have a big network of freelancers. They mm -hmm. only get paid when they collect. So that reduces our logistics cost as well as the ABC model increases the value of our items. So that's why we are able to have excellent unit economics in this business. I see for the gig economy workers or anyone looking to earn extra income, they might as well, you know, help to save the earth by working for earth at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, some of our um, some of our freelancers, uh, you know, our heroes t tell us that they are surprised how much they get paid for doing this job. In, in fact, uh, per kilometer, they get paid double what they get paid driving, for example, for Grab. So, so they earn more that for the same effort, and we also try all the time to uh, give them tools to make their life easier. So just to give you an example, two months ago, we partnered with Maxis, the largest telco in Malaysia, oh. to, uh, to basically digitize our uh, hero assignment and route yep. optimization system. Yep. And, and, and so far in two months, the amount of driving per trip mm -hmm. uh, for heroes dropped from average of 30 kilometers per trip all the way down to 10 kilometers per, per trip. So so now they drive two thirds less than before, but they earn the same. So I can only tell you that our heroes are really, really uh, happy with the, with this change. So technology has definitely improved the efficiency and improved their earning as well. I see. So by digitizing, you have increased not just the productivity of the company, but you have helped to alleviate some of these work problems that the gig economy workers might face working for Earth. But that's yes, that's yes. really fantastic. So now they can do three orders in the same amount of time that they used to do only one order. So of course they can earn more that way as well. Yeah, everyone benefits from that. You know, thank you so yes. much for the interview, Mo. You know, I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about Earth and the sustainable development space in Malaysia. You know, to end off this interview, please share a few words to inspire some of the founders to join you in the sustainable development space. Well, uh, I think that uh, it's clear by now that our planet is not in good shape. It's clear also that we are running out of time. I think we are the last generation that can really make a difference before it's too late. 
uh, I can only imagine, you know, I'm expecting, uh, me and Nahed are expecting our first uh, baby two months from now. Oh, congrats, uh, congrats so on that. Thank you very much. So I'm only thinking, you know, as as this baby comes comes to the world, and, and let's say, you know, like 15 or 20 years later, when he can start to think about these things, if mm-hmm. the, the humanity continues on the current course, I'm not so sure that he will be able to do something, you know, fast enough uh, yep. to make a difference. I think we are the last generation that really needs to speed things up. So that's why I think there will be a lot of money flowing into, you know, SDG innovations over the coming mm-hmm. period. I think ESG is becoming a, an important factor, not not only for consumers, but also for, for companies and, and, and for, um, uh, you know, the G part, you know, the, the yep. compliance with regulations, reporting your sustainability as a large enterprise. I think this uh, plays very well uh, into uh, also the noble cause. I think many of the entrepreneurs, when they start, they start because they see a problem with the world that they would like to solve. Yep. And I think if that problem is aligned with the SDGs, you can get big companies, big players to help you out because of your story. Like, for example, you know, our partnership with Maxis, uh, they made a video about us that was viewed more than 1.5 million times in two months. If we were to try to make this kind of video ourselves, we definitely wouldn't have achieved this impact. So why did they do that? They did that because we are strongly aligned with SDGs. We have a good story and they uh, would benefit from aligning with uh, the work that we do. So mm-hmm. I think that don't think of uh, of sustainability as a, you know, sort of the very kind of an old school mentality that, oh, it belongs in NGOs, mm. you know, because NGOs are loss-making enterprises. They they, they yep. collect all the donation money and then they spend it and then they go around looking for more. No, actually, uh, you can uh, be a startup entrepreneur in sustainability and make profit at the same time. And I think this is becoming clear uh, by the number of investment funds uh, yep. that are now uh, channeling money into SDG innovation. So I think the, the timing has never been better for someone who wants to uh, make a change in the SDGs. Yes, I'm sure. You know, more. we really need more of you around this world. For Thank real. you, Azam. I appreciate it. Thank you and thanks for to Quest Ventures for backing us up. Uh, I mean, I, I, I met uh, James in 2019 when we were only a few months old and yep. he uh, expressed passion about our idea Yep. right from the very beginning and it was a great surprise that two years later uh, we end up in the scale up malaysia program and then eventually quest ventures joined us so we are very happy and thank you for your support and uh, uh, we are doing our best to make you proud and to really help solve this e-waste problem yeah at quest ventures you know we are more than happy to back fantastic founders like yourself thank you so much mo for today thank thanks Azam. I'm your host, Azon, and once again, thank you guys for tuning in to Questions With by Quest Ventures. This episode was recorded in Pixel, an incubation and innovation space by IMDA. For more information, visit impixel.imda.gov.sg. Thank you.